All right. Good morning again, church family. So as we begin today, there's a, there's a word that uh, might be a response you've just had to the passage we're going through today. If you could turn to your neighbor and uh, give one word, I think the word might be woe. If you want to turn to your neighbor. Yeah, this is a... Uh, this is quite a passage. There's a lot going on. Um, there's cataclysm and destruction and uh, some unfamiliar prophetic language that Jesus is using here, right? Um, before I go on, I haven't introduced myself yet. My name is Kyle Reschke, one of the pastors here at uh, Wheaton Bible Church. If you are visiting with us this morning, I'm really glad you're here. And I want to let you know we are about one year, a little bit more, into a year and a half deep dive into the Gospel of Matthew. That's how we arrive at Matthew 24 today. Um, as we place such a high value on Scripture... Um, and, and the truth of the Bible and all God reveals to us in scriptures, we believe that in today's world that words that can be used to describe it, like chaotic, tumultuous, filled with trouble, confusion, so many voices claiming to be the truth or the right way or enlightenment or self-actualization, we believe that God has given us his word. We believe that God has given us his truth. And so when we encounter tough passages like this, we say, this is here for a reason. This is here to speak to us for a reason. I think passages like this uh, confront us modern people with some uncomfortable realities. They confront us that Christianity is actually about a lot more than what we make of it sometimes. It's more than just a tool in our tool belt to deal with this life. It's more than cherry-picking a few verses to feel good in a certain moment or to support our opinion on any topic. It's more than just a checklist or better steps uh, to a better life. It's more. This is the story of God's faithfulness, as we sang in our last song, Through All Time, right? And here's the deal. Eternity and souls are at stake. They are. May we never make of the Christian faith anything less than that. We don't get to define God. God defines us. And so these are the passages that confront and challenge and create our reality that any box we might have put Jesus in Passages like this will burst it out of the box, and that's a really healthy and good thing for us because they confirm there is real bad news in the world, real evil, real deception. People, us included, can be so easily swayed and deceived. Trial, challenge, tribulation, trouble, and that there will be a time, we believe, when there is a final judgment, the end of the world as we know it. Now, that's the bad news. But the good news that supersedes all the bad news is that there is good news, which is what we're going to get to today. Everybody still with me? All right. 
I say it every time I preach. I usually preach more overseas than I do here at Wheaton Bible Church. And in almost every other country of the world, in, in churches, uh, the congregation feels very free in expression. This can be a, a, a back and forth, all right? Make me feel more at home. So if there's an amen or a preach or a truth, whatever's going on, feel free. Don't hold it in. Everybody with me? Jimmy, I saw you here, so I knew I said that for you. Thanks. So here's how we're going to tackle the passage today in three parts, okay? Number one, what Jesus said. I'm going to give you the context. This will be our kind of our harder work to set the foundation from what Jesus said, why he said it, and what it means for us today, okay? What Jesus said, why he said it, what it means for us today. So here in chapter 24, this starts... Uh, what is called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is saying these things on the Mount of Olives, which uh, is why it's called the Olivet Discourse. It overlooks the city of Jerusalem. If you tour Jerusalem today, this is a common place where you'll roll up in your tour bus and you overlook the ancient city. And so it's a beautiful view. And so when we read that the disciples are, are remarking on the glorious view of the temple, They would see the temple, which was from a visual, artistic, architectural standpoint, really a wonder of the ancient world. The historians we can read say it it literally shone. The gold reflecting the sun. And where there wasn't gold, where the sun reflected off the polished stone, one historian, Josephus, described it as it looked like uh, the sun reflecting off of snow. So it was glorious. It was the pride of the Jewish culture at the time, this temple, their pride. So that's the setting. We move into chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Now in the parallel accounts of what we're going through today, if you want to read those, Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21. So in those two Gospels, the disciples there remark even more about the beauty of the temple, how grand it is. Here in Matthew, they just continue. And Jesus says, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So here's the context. This would be absolutely shocking disorienting. The pride of the culture for the time, the stones that were so big and heavy, this temple that took decades of, to build and thousands of craftsmen would be utterly destroyed? The disciples did probably what you and I would do. Um, excuse us, Jesus. When is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? What is the time? Because to them, this would be signifying the end of the, like, it could only be catastrophe that could cause this temple, every stone, to be thrown down. And Jesus' response on the rest of the passage says, this is what's coming. I'm preparing you for what's coming. Here's all of the trouble, intensifying events, wars, famines, persecution, the rise of false messiahs, false saviors, deceitful teachers. The list goes on. 
And then he gives pictures of what that's going to look like, and he gives it for a purpose. So here's the deal, church. With texts like these, there are two major ditches we can fall into. I'm going to try not to have us fall into those today, okay? The first is actually seeing, so when we get into these prophecies of the end times or, or these types of events, and getting so lost in the symbolism, which is beautiful and it is profound, we'll get into it a little bit, but getting so lost there that we miss the forest for the trees. What do I mean? Pastor Phil preached about this last week is that the, the religious leaders at the time who had, who had memorized so much scripture, they even wore some of what they had memorized on their foreheads to show how much they had. You can know a lot of scripture and memorize a lot of scripture that points to the Messiah and miss the Messiah. Okay? So the first ditch really is you could get kind of all the symbolism right. But if you miss Jesus, you've missed it. You could get all the symbolism about sacrifice right, but if you miss that it's through Jesus' sacrifice that would make obsolete the sacrifices that are at the temple because he becomes the perfect sacrifice, the place where salvation is found, you would miss it. Second one, is on the other side. We can say, okay, well, um, later on in this passage, Jesus says, we're not going to know the times. So we can throw up our hands and just say, well, you know, we don't know. And so it's just whenever it's going to come. Which I also don't think is an acceptable answer. Why? These are the last days of Jesus' life. So everything that he is saying here to his disciples has great purpose, right? He gives significant warning here, and so that must have great purpose. And so the middle road we find is that here are about all of these events and these bad, troublesome events that are coming. But in the midst of all of it, what Jesus is referring to is actually the truth of who he is. That Jesus truly is the Son of God. The Messiah come who actually will come again. So he's Messiah, Savior, Lord, King, who came to earth to live, was crucified, died, buried, rose on the third day, ascending to heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father, having fulfilled to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to his followers to persevere, to remain steadfast in persecution, to live out his mission to all nations until he comes again. That's Jesus. Okay. So your next question, we are halfway through like the harder homework, okay? You're almost through it. These events of massive and worldwide significance that we are reading about, what is the timing all of this? What is Jesus really talking about? Now, this is one of the most debated passages in Scripture. I'm going to give you what three of the most common views are. 
So first, really when we get to what's going on with the temple and the signs of the time and the coming of the Son of Man and all of that, the first is a more historical view. This is commonly called the preterist view. Preterist. In a way, in history, exactly what Jesus said would happen. So within a generation, a little less than 40 years after Jesus was crucified, there were armies surrounding Jerusalem. There was a great Jewish revolt, and the Romans sent armies surrounding Jerusalem, and they conquered Jerusalem, and there was pain like there was never before for the people there. And the temple, as part of that conquering, got set on fire. And the fire was so hot and it was so destructive, it melted the gold. And the Roman armies, um, with the gold melting, were so greedy to get it, melted in between the stones, toppled all the stones off of one another. So here we have, this actually happened. The temple was completely and utterly destroyed. People in this view argue the shrines or the, the, the altars, the pagan worship, Caesar was God for the Romans that would have been brought into the temple at that time was that abomination of desolation. That's the view, okay? Second view is commonly called the futurist view. This view says Jesus is primarily talking about uh, the end times far in the future. And in this view, the abomination that causes desolation, what a phrase to have in a passage, right, to preach from. The abomination is actually referring to um, a figure that relates to the end times, and that figure is the Antichrist. And that, what we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, the Antichrist will set himself up in the seat on the throne where God rightfully belongs and be demanding the worship that is only due to God. The third view responds to saying, well, which of the first views is it? And the third view says, yes. I call it the have your cake and eat it too view. But they say, and there's rationale for this too, the AD 70 was, it did happen. That was a partial fulfillment on the way to a full fulfillment at the end of time. So there, Jesus is referring to both, or even different parts of this passage is referring to both. But here's what I want you to see. Yes, the debates are fascinating, but I'm done with those views for this time. Why? Because as fascinating as they are, regardless of the chronology in all three of the views, Jesus will return. He is Savior, and he is talking to his disciples and saying, when this happens, you need to persevere. Perseverance. So while we can get lost in the prophecy, Jesus' goal and what he's sharing with his disciples here is perseverance. And all three of those views, the perseverance of his disciples. Which brings me to point number two. Congratulations, you made it through the hardest part, okay? Your homework is done. Why does Jesus say it? So that's all that he said. Why does he say it? I actually think it's pretty simple. He says it throughout, and, and he calls it birth pains. He calls it signs of the time. He even says in uh, 
verse 25, I really, really, really need you to hear this, guys. Verse 25, see, I have told you ahead of time. Because he wants his disciples to be able to stand firm. He says, this is what's coming, and no matter when they come or how they come, I want you to be ready. Here's what you can expect, disciples. I do believe this was for disciples then and disciples now. Jesus says, you should expect, in verse 6, wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, natural disasters. Verse 9, persecution. Verses 5 and 24, false prophets, teachers, false messiahs will appear and they will be incredibly persuasive and they will deceive many. Verse 12, an increase of wickedness and that increase of wickedness causes love to grow cold even among God's people. Now, to be clear, in the midst of all of this craziness, that's what Jesus says. I want you to also hear what he does not say. When trouble comes, when tribulations come, when storms come, disciples freak out. Grab anything that gives you comfort in any other way. He doesn't say to seek comfort in all the things that comfort you momentarily. He doesn't say to look to anything other than him for salvation. Because he knows we are going to be prone to do that. Why so many warnings against false and deceiving teachers? Because when trouble comes, we have a tendency to flail about for anything we think might save us. And ultimately it will not. That's what Jesus does not say. He says, stand firm to the end. And he says, through all of these signs, these are the birth pains. Interesting use of words, right? But the birth pains. Um, I know uh, many in here have gone through labor, would know what birth pains are, and uh, have been through the confusion of never knowing how long they will last, right? Right? So I was thinking back, uh, uh, Joy and I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a one-year-old. Our daughter's one years old today, so we've got a birthday celebration later. Thank you. But I was thinking back to our first time, right? Um, when Liam, uh, when Joy was pregnant with Liam, actually on his due day, on and off throughout the day, um, I heard from various places around the house some very um, purposeful, deep breathing going on. I would hear a... And I would go in and check on Joy. You okay? She goes, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Everything's fine. And then as the hours go by, I said, man, that deep breathing is getting uh, a little deeper and there's occasionally some other noises uh, coming along with that deep breathing. I have Joy's full permission to share this story, by the way. And then I come across her in the kitchen, and she's leaning over the counter, and, you know, and it's that, and I said, Joy, I got to ask, sorry if I'm being a pest, are you having contractions? And my sweet, lovely, and very tough wife, who knew she wanted to tough out the pregnancy, goes, no, I'm not having contractions, um, but like on and off every few minutes, I'm getting these really bad cramps. <laughs> I 
And my eyes get wide. And I said, oh, I said, Joy, what is, she, what is a, 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 a cramp? And she says, what do you mean? I said, a cramp is a muscle contracting. <laughs> and her eyes got wide too. And so I started that stopwatch, right? Because it's 411. We took all the classes, we did all the tests, we did the quizzes. You know that when they're four minutes apart, they last for a minute and have been going for one hour, it's time to go to the hospital. So we, those were the signs of labor. They were the birth pains. And they'd actually been going on for several hours before uh, we acknowledged it. So we rush. We're, this is first time for us, right? So we don't know. Everything has been on paper for us so far. And we get to the hospital, and we're, we're like ready to go. And the doctor's like, well, you can walk the hallway if you'd like. And I mean, Joy labored for 15 more hours. But my point is, the signs of the, we know what the signs of labor are. Exactly how long that is uh, prolonged, you don't know, but we know what the signs of labor are, and we know what the end of that process is. Liam was born. So these, as we go through this list, are the signs of the times we are in. They are but the birth pains. Jesus promised them. And what we know for sure is that he will come back. In the meantime, he wants his disciples to be prepared to withstand false teachers and false prophets, to be rooted in him, deeply rooted in the truth, and not swayed by even persuasive people promising easier ways out of the trials. He wants them to endure persecution and to not be surprised by it. And when wickedness increases, to not let love grow cold. Jesus actually preached. He said, when wickedness increases, how will the, will the world know you are my disciples? By how you love one another. So he's giving instruction. All of this is coming, but this is who you are, my disciples. And he says, in all of that, to preach the gospel to the whole world in the midst of every trial. So you see, there's bad news, but it's not all bad news. There is salvation. There is power for perseverance. And despite all of the challenges and all of the ob obstacles, we find even here that the gospel of the kingdom of God will be preached to the whole world. We're continuing on with verse 13. Jesus says, The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Perseverance marks the person who is saved. Perseverance to the end. The one who stands firm will be saved. So church, I need you to hear this this morning. Historically and in present day, historically, most often, the thriving church, the thriving, growing church impacting society in unbelievable and miraculous ways has most often been a persecuted church. Most often been a persecuted church. This was true for the early Christians. It was not long after these events that Christians were used in the gladiatorial games of the Romans, tortured for the amusement of the masses. 
fed to animals to the laughter of brutal crowds. But in the midst of all of it, they were an alternate society. They were radically devoted to God, 100% confidence where their salvation was ultimately found. And we read in the scriptures, devoted to the scriptures, to teaching, to fellowship, to the type of generosity the world had never seen before. And in the midst of the brutal ancient world, especially in the Roman Empire, in the midst of that, they loved each other in a way that was unbelievably strange to everybody looking on. One emperor even remarked who was trying to stamp out these Christians, he called them. He said, what are we to do about these Christians? Much as we try to stamp them out, they keep growing in number. Not only do they take care of their own sick, but they take care of ours as well. So I need you to hear this because this is the church that actually grew in the midst of persecution This is our historical church to what is now today the most culturally, ethnically, linguistically, socioeconomically, geographically diverse spiritual system group the world has ever known because God has been faithful. This is happening today. I think this is happening a lot in Western countries. Historically, if you look, when Christianity became popular or comfortable or church was the place to be, the faith often declined because a lot of things got added to Jesus, to this salvation, to this perseverance that Jesus was calling Christians to. And where is the church thriving most today around the world? It is in persecuted places. We're seeing this around the world today. It is in uh, uh, the most highly persecuted places. I have been a couple times this year um, in highly persecuted places. And here's what I see. Here's what I am um, blown away by with churches and gathered believers there. The love of the scriptures in the place where the scripture is outlawed is incredibly inspiring. Where the scripture is outlawed, people will do anything to get their hands on a Bible. Anything to gather and read and study God's word together. They say this is a treasure. This is a treasure from the Lord. The efforts to get Bibles, to have them to read, uh, one copy may be shared amongst 10, 20, 30 people. I've been in places where where, uh, a New Testament was um, um, translated into a language for the first time and celebrating it, getting it to an unreached people group. And the few believers who were going to be the places where that people group is reached get these scriptures in their own language for the first time and their only natural response is they break down weeping and they kiss their scriptures. It's that important. I want us to see that. That is the place where the church is thriving where there are believers listening to um, underground uh, radio stations and online churches because they can't do it in their own place, where the whole radio program is slowly reading the scriptures in their language so that they can copy it down, and that will be 
the only copy of the scriptures that they have. But here's what I love about it. It's in the place where people have needed to learn to persevere. Understood that perseverance is key to the Christian faith. That I see God moving most miraculously. People who knew Christianity was never meant to be comfortable. People who know that evangelism is urgent. Mission is non-negotiable. When you become a Christ follower, that is who you are right away. So that's what's going on around the world. Point number three, what this means for us today. What this means for us today, we believe that God has given us all we need to persevere. Jesus stated it so well in the parallel passage in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Jesus said, when you are placed before the authorities, don't worry about what you have to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And so he's given us his spirit. God has been faithful. Hebrews 10, 23 and 24 encourages us. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. That's what we sang about earlier today. So let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So perseverance matters and the Lord has given his people so much to persevere. Amen? He has been so gracious. I want you to see how precious the word of God is. I want you to see how precious the church is. Do you see that in all the craziness of the world, the Bible tells us that the church is the pillar and the buttress of the truth? In the midst of all the trouble and the tribulation and the need to persevere that comes our way, We have a place to gather to worship the living and active God, to fellowship and encourage one another, to study God's word, to grow deeper roots in him so that we would not be swayed by any of the falsehoods that are so pervasive around us. Deeply rooted. And what this means is that who we are rooted in Christ really, really matters. Our ministry matters. Our outreach matters. There is an urgency to evangelism, to sharing faith in a world in desperate need of it. Forgiveness matters. How we forgive one another being a way to point to our ever-forgiving God. Our witness matters. How we in the church love each other matters. How we read and study the word matters. So listen up. What we do here as a church family is so much more than good feelings on a Sunday morning, an emotional experience. It is worship of the God who is faithful. This is where we gather, lift one another up to the Lord, sit under his word to be equipped for every good work for the glory of God and to be sent out to the nations where there is trouble, but we will persevere. Deeply rooted in Christ. Amen? So I have news for you. Anyone who is loved by the world, Jesus does declare that it is likely you are 
more of the world than you are of Christ. Any church seeking as its aim to be loved by the world is likely to end up very worldly and having missed the otherworldly call of Jesus. And so I love this. The one welcomed by Jesus in eternity as faithful servant is the one who persevered. Listen up. Who heralded the good news of heaven amidst the bad news of earth. Are you lost in all the bad news and missing the opportunity to herald the good news? The time we are in, the signs of the times, the birth pains, I argue today is perseverance time, is faithfulness time, is steadfastness time, is missions time. How do we respond to calamities, wars, famines, earthquakes, all of the above? Jesus says, don't be alarmed. They will happen. How do we respond to persecution by religious authorities or even secular rulers and authorities? The Apostle Paul said it better than me. Read with me. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Sound familiar to anybody? But you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. How about an amen there? So you see, and I'm going to close with this. There is a judgment. There is a judgment coming. When the righteous will be separated from the unrighteous. And while there are debates about all the kinds of details about that judgment, here's what we know for sure, and here's the essential. We praise God that all who are in Christ, who have placed their faith in him, will be judged based on his righteousness and not their own. Scripture preaches this in such beautiful terms. I went through, I listed all the ones that just immediately came to mind. This is the whole point. The believer in Jesus has his righteousness. So hear this. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. We know that in Christ we have an imperishable inheritance guarded for you. We know that in Jesus we are sinners saved by grace over and over and over again that he is faithful even when we are not. In Jesus we are clothed in righteousness, covered In the troubles of the world, hidden in Christ. 
We read in Hebrews, made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And to finish in Romans, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So church, do not fear the troubles of the world. Persevere. Jesus has that for us as a church, for you and for me. And know where the power to persevere comes from. That is being in Christ. And nowhere else. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you, our faithful Lord and Savior. What a precious and beautiful hope we have in Jesus, the righteous one. So Lord, you have granted all your people all we would ever need to persevere. And so we pray, Lord, for your presence among us, the power and movement of your spirit, and we praise you for the salvation found in Jesus so that through all things, Father, may you continue to equip your church to persevere, to thrive, and may it be, Lord, for your glory, may it be among all nations and for all eternity. Amen.